Hey, how are you going? You are listening to the Body and Soul podcast called Extra Healthy-ish, the big sister podcast to the one called Just Healthy-ish. Actually, this podcast we've designed to give you that little bit extra in your day for your mind, body and soul. I'm your host, Felicity Harley. Now, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you might have tuned in to my interview with Dr. Ben Bravery and his mission to put the heart back into our healthcare system. If you haven't, you can download it. It's a great chat. Anyway, well, today we're carrying on the same sort of theme because we have another doctor come author. Yes, there are a few around right now who is also advocating change within the Australian healthcare system. Dr. Neela Janaka Ramanan is a powerhouse. She's a mother of two. She is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon, a journalist, and of course now an author of a book called The Registrar. She joins us via Zoom from Melbourne to share her experiences of doing a job she loved but within a extremely toxic environment and her tips for keeping your mental health intact if this sounds like you too. Nila, thank you so much for joining us on Extra Healthy-ish today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, I need to ask you, as I ask everyone who comes on this podcast, how do you stay extra healthy-ish, well, in your life as a doctor? Um, oh, that's a really hard question. I think for me it is about doing the things that are really high value and not stressing the rest of it. So I try and get enough sleep. I try and get a bit of exercise. I try and eat my veggies. But to be honest, I'm not counting if I'm having four serves or five serves a day. I'm not counting the number of minutes that I exercise. It's not something I think we should be feeling guilty about. It's just something that we should have on our radar. That it's just an innate thing that you do without even almost worrying about it. Yeah, and it's just also about being aware that, you know, if it's been a few weeks since I've done any exercise, I start to feel a bit sluggish, my back starts to hurt. So it's just being a bit aware when that happens of going, oh, okay, life's been really busy. I haven't taken that time to do this thing that makes my body feel a bit better. I'm going to go and do that. And it's not about feeling guilty that you've neglected it for a while. It's just about recognising it and moving on. Yeah, I like that. Good advice. Now, we're talking about you know, if you love your job, but if your workplace is extremely toxic, let's start off with your experience, which I guess is loosely what your book's based on. Fiction, mind you. Yeah. Your book is fiction. I have to add to that, add that, that in. So tell us your experience in your workplace, in a job you loved, but the environment that you didn't like. Yeah, so my book is called The Registrar and a registrar is a specialist in training in Australian hospitals and it's a really challenging time. There is a lot of pressure to learn. There's a lot of pressure to perform. Medical teaching is often done by humiliation to try and motivate us to learn. Um, there are strong hierarchies, so bullying uh, harassment, sexual harassment, assault are uh, relatively common in the workplace, as has been reported in the media. Um, and overwork is also really rife because a system isn't really resourced to provide a high level of care to all of the patients who need it. So in, particularly in that period of our career, we are run off our feet with all of these other pressures on top as well. So just let's go back a bit. Why did you decide to become a doctor? And did you think this is what would happen when you were training? No, not at all. Um, I, 
I became a doctor because I found it really fascinating. My grandfather had been a GP surgeon in a very small town in rural India, uh, and he was my inspiration. I went into medicine because I wanted to help people, but I didn't really know what the process of training would actually be like, what it would take to get to the end. And as I lived it and discovered it, it was actually quite a shock. So can you tell us any specific examples of, you know, when it was particularly bad but you still clung on to that idea that you loved your job, you've got to keep going, getting through? Yeah, so in that five years of training that I did, we do discrete terms and they're somewhere between six and 12 months and you go from one hospital to another. And some terms that I did were fantastic, really supportive bosses, really high quality education. And there were others that were absolutely dreadful where I was bullied, where I was sexually harassed, occasionally assaulted um, oh, wow. and just had to find that strength to keep going. And And I don't, I'm not even saying that everyone should keep going. I think it's quite okay for people to go, you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to go find something different to do that doesn't involve this kind of toxicity. But I think it's a real challenge when you're really passionate about it and you know that if you can just get through a certain amount of time, you'll get to the end. And I did, and I'm now in a position where I'm very safe and I only work with people that I like and I I love my job, but it was challenging to get through that difficult period. I feel like so many, I mean, look, I can speak in, you know, about the media industry as well. I did go (laughs) have some very trying and challenging experiences in certain workplaces where I look back and think, wow, I can't believe I just got through. What were some common signs that you saw in those, you know, because you worked in a number of hospitals, some common Mm. signs of the toxic workplace that you experienced? I think what I learnt as time went on was to be very aware of the impact that other people's behaviours were having on me because it does, those impacts do build up very slowly and very insidiously and it took me a long time to recognise those symptoms of exhaustion and burnout um, in the way that I then interacted with the people around me, I mean, we all tend to take out our worst behaviours and our frustrations on those that we love. Absolutely. So, you know, my poor family and friends who were neglected, who were sniped at, who were made to take more responsibility um, for things in my life. You know, I remember coming home from work and snapping at my husband, you know, why he hadn't cooked dinner. That's not really the kind of person that I am. But in those moments where you're trying to process so much stuff, this is how it can manifest. So some of my coping strategies as time went on and I became aware of this was to be really open about what was happening, to recognise those moments where I was not as kind to my loved ones as I could have been, to be open about it and apologise for it. Um, and and really I, what I, the other thing is I learned to set boundaries around what I would allow to upset me and what I wouldn't. If there were things that I couldn't change, um, there was not a lot of value in putting a lot of mental effort um, and emotional capital into that. So it was trying to separate out the things that I could 
and trying to keep the people who were my supports as close as possible. I mean, that's often difficult, isn't it? Because you have to be so disciplined in your self-talk and your mental approach to, especially in your industry where there is so much stress and pressure outside, you know, in what you do, you're dealing with, with humans and care. How did you, how did you do this? How did you keep your boundaries strict? One of the things that was really useful for me actually was having a year off. Um, I had a year off actually to have a baby and that gave me some distance and space to reflect on things that had happened in the past and then come up with strategies for how to address those things in the future. And sometimes it was only very little things. So, for example, one of the things that I realised is that sometimes the labour that I was doing, the work that I was doing was not seen because the people that I was working with were just quicker than me at being the people who told the bosses that they had done everything. Yes. And so they were monopolising the credit for the work that was done and so therefore I was then seen as not contributing. And so it took me time away from that environment to realise that this was a thing that was happening. And so when I went back, I put in strategies where I either made very clear delineations with the people that I was working with as to who was going to communicate what, or I just, just jumped in and did it first, Yeah, which is exactly what they were doing anyway. So I think that time away um, and time to reflect was really useful. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winder? <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. How did you manage your mental health when you were in the moment, you know, in that toxic workplace? I think that's really difficult and different people need to find the strategies that work for them. Um, I strongly recommend professional support because professionals can give you those strategies. Personally, for me, I found, um, and, and this won't work for everyone, but I found visualisation a really powerful tool where I would imagine myself in a different, safer environment when things got really tough. Um, but other people find more external ways of coping, talking to family, talking to friends, talking to psychologists and actually allowing other people to help them work through these challenges. What about talking to your work colleagues I mean, and or your boss? I mean, your bosses can be part of the problem. How do we... What, how did you tackle this and, and what's your advice for others? Again, I think it's very, just like it's very easy to say for workplaces is toxic, you should leave. I think it's very easy to say if you're subject to these terrible things in the workplace, you should speak to your boss, you should speak to human resources. There are lots of reasons why people, particularly women, don't want to do that. And they're often related to fear about losing opportunities and career progression. One of the things that I think has changed, I mean, I was going through this a decade ago. I think one of the things that has changed is that there is greater awareness of these issues 
there are more people who are committed to stamping out these kinds of problems and behaviours. And I think workplaces do have more allies in them yeah, than there were when I was going through. Even in, your, so, even in your industry, you find that? Absolutely. My industry That's is refreshing. actually very good now. And I do tell my juniors that wherever they find themselves, there will be a little posse of women in that organisation who will help and sort things out. Um, and so that is sometimes my advice is, again, you can't force people to make a decision to potentially harm their career for the sake of justice, but you do want everyone to have support and so to look for those people who will actually provide you support. Yeah, look for your cheerleaders. That's what I say. Absolutely. (laughs) How do you know, I mean, you obviously stayed because you were focused on, you know, becoming a doctor, getting through. How do you know when to stay or when to go for the sake of your sanity? Because I'm sure a lot of women and men listening to this would you know, in the throes of their career are like, but mm. I, if I go now, I've only been here for six months, it might look bad on my CV or it's about my reputation or do I just bunker down and put up with it? I think there has to be a bright line for your own personal safety. If you're unsafe in a workplace, if you, and that can be an external threat, it can also be your own mental health. So if you're at a point where giving up actually looks like a threat to your life, then I think that that is where significant external help needs to be sought. And there are lots of providers, you know, call Beyond Blue, call Lifeline, um, see a GP, see a psychologist. So I think that is very much a bright line. Beyond that, I think it's a very personal decision. And it comes down to not other people's expectations of your resilience, and whether or not you should be able to cope with something, but your own capacity and your own resilience in a particular scenario and being kind to yourself that just because someone else can put up with something doesn't mean that you are a failure if you decide not to put up with that. And I think that's where the people that know you best, your family and your friends, can really help to workshop what is worthwhile, what is not, where your values lie, where your bright lines lie and help you make that decision. Among everything else that you do, you've also written a fiction book. You are extremely admirable and talented, I have to say. What message are you hoping people walk away with after reading your book? Because, you know, in the front of it, you've got so many great reviews for it. What are you hoping, you know, that people, I don't know, go and implement in their life or in, in or just know and learn? Um, the reason I wrote it, in part was people love medical drama. I mean, we, we don't watch ER just because of Absolutely. George Clooney. You know? we, <laughs> yeah. we think that, you know, it's, it's a fascinating world and it's one that all of us will interact with at some point in our lives. We all have to seek health care. And I, I think that that leads to fascination. But what I also hope is that by demonstrating what really happens behind the scenes in an Australian modern Australian hospital, when people are sitting in a doctor's clinic or in a waiting room and they are waiting for someone to come and tell them what's going on, they're waiting for appointment, they're waiting for their blood test, uh, and they're waiting, 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 because there's a lot of waiting. Uh, they yes. actually have a bit of an idea of what's happening on the other side. Yeah, because we often don't see that. It all looks so calm out in the waiting room, but behind closed doors it can be frantic, right? 
Yeah, and we're we're trying to manage lots of things and we're trying to manage lots of patients and provide really high quality care. And generally we do, um, but it's just to give that, you know, in my novel, I, I explore the stories of both the healthcare workers, but also of patients uh, from their perspective. I've been a patient, I have a child with a chronic disease, and so I, I know, do know what it's like on the other side. Um, and I hope that people come to see what happens in a hospital and potentially in terms of their own health, um, get a bit of an insight into how they can advocate for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Neela, thank you so much for coming on Extra Healthy-ish. Oh, thank you so much for having me. If you are interested in Neela's book, it is called The Registrar and it is out now. If you want more from us, remember Extra Healthy-ish, this podcast publishes a new episode for your wonderfully healthy-ish ears every morning, Monday to Thursday. For more, head to bodyandsoul.com.au or follow us on Instagram, Facebook or TikTok. Thanks again for tuning in and if you have a moment, we'd love it if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. And until tomorrow, stay Extra Healthy-ish. I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts.